if you can actually take care of what we're going to be talking about today, which is building a strong foundation, then you are going to be able to jump into a training program for whatever that goal race of yours is. That was Dr. Dwayne Scotty, and this is episode 113 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Dr. Dwayne Scotty is a Connecticut-based running physical therapist, run coach, host of the Healthy Runner podcast, and founder of Spark Healthy Runner. A leader in the rehab and running community for over 20 years, Dwayne is truly living his passion, educating runners that they don't necessarily have to stop running in order to get over a running injury. We first had Dwayne on the show back in episode 66 to discuss his blueprint for staying healthy as a runner, and it was so popular that we decided to continue that conversation by going deep on the topic of base training. Off-season is the best time to lay the groundwork for reaching new heights in your next training cycle, and for many of us in colder climates, the off-season is officially upon us. In this episode, we cover the definition of base training, how to build aerobic capacity through easy running, and spice things up with some fast running as well, the importance of strength training and jump training and how to structure these workouts, why a boot camp class probably isn't the best bang for your strength training buck, and why now is a great time of year to focus on good nutritional habits. Not only is Dwayne a wealth of knowledge, he's also on his own running journey. We open by hearing about his second marathon, which he recently completed in Hartford. He had several powerful takeaways from that experience on his own podcast, which we've linked up in the show notes. So without further delay, let's get into all things base training with Dr. Dwayne Scotty. All right, Dwayne Scotty, welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you with us again. Oh, I'm happy to be back. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I've really been looking forward to this one. This is going to be fun. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. So for those of you who may have missed it, you were our very first guest of 2022, way back in episode 66, where we talked all about your Spark Blueprint, which helps runners prevent and heal from injuries without being told to stop running. So we had really amazing feedback about that episode. And uh, so we wanted to have you back again to talk about base training. But before we get there, we wanted to catch up with you. What's been going on since we last spoke 10 or 11 months ago? Wow. Yeah. No, I think actually when we had spoke uh, 10 or 11 months ago, I was in like base training phase and that led to some really big things in, you know, my, my personal running journey that I'm on. Mm -hmm. And you know, I went on to run uh, two fast half marathons for me. So those were pretty much right where I wanted to be. And then I ran my first uh, marathon in five years. So that oh, was wow. a big, a big step uh, going back for finally seconds uh, for the marathon after running for now 11 years as an adult onset runner. So it was only my second marathon out of the 70 something road races that I've done. So that was pretty exciting. So do you mind me asking why the five year break? Like was the first one really traumatic or something? Like how come it took five <laughs> years to go back for seconds? Yeah. Like most, um, novice runners, I made all the rookie mistakes and that marathon was pretty torturous. Meaning, you know, I didn't fuel correctly. I didn't hydrate correctly. I, my electrolytes were definitely off. I was in a pound of white powdery sweat all yes. over me, salt just coming <laughs> out of my skin. I cramped up at, you know, mile 20. I literally walked through uh, cramps and tried to run for the last six miles. Extremely painful. I remember the recovery being out of this world, something I've never experienced before. My whole like body felt like it shut down. My GI system didn't work for like a whole week. You know, every muscle killed. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not meant to do marathons. I'm going to stick really with a marathon. No. Right. That's what, that's what I went through. And that was the big struggle. And honestly, you know, since that time in the last five years, you know, I became a run coach. I learned more. 
I started the Health Runner podcast. I interviewed experts like you guys on the show, and I learn from all the experts that come on the show. And, you know, I've been in the lab working and really trying to hone in on the craft, right? And continue to, you know, learn, lifelong learner, just like I want to be a lifelong runner. And, you know, I've been improving, making steady uh, strides in the right direction, have figured out how to run and stay healthy. Um, you know, knock on wood, in the last three years, I've been able to do that and increase my level of fitness, increase my, you know, weekly running volume, increase my race times now back to kind of those beginning when you were like, quote unquote, young and dumb, right? And you just like went out there and just killed it. And you're like, how do I run that fast? So you're like, why not? (laughs) And then, you know, you get injured and then you figure out finally how to overcome those injuries. And then it's about figuring out how do I like run for longevity so I can get in my mental clearing runs and not have to stop running because I'm injured. So I got that figured out. So now I'm working on the performance aspect again. And so I can age gracefully into my uh, mid forties and, you know, stay healthy and continue to kind of, you know, do hard things. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. So was that the Hartford marathon, like both your first and your second marathon? It was, it was the same yeah. one? Yeah. I had like okay. unfinished business. You know, I felt like I had to like be able to actually run the marathon and not cramp up. So that was kind of my goal, uh, this time around. And I was happy to say I did accomplish that goal. I had yes. other other things that crept up that I wasn't expecting, you know, some pre-race anxiety that just came out of nowhere that yep. I didn't know that that would relate to that. <laughs> that would happen yep. and it really affected my GI system, so mm-hmm. that was yeah. really tough uh, making stops during the race, which I've yeah. never used a porta potty during a race before. So that was really a struggle and it became a, a mental struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but the training that I was doing and, you know, challenging myself mentally during harder runs kind of set me up for that position where I was able to cope with mm-hmm. like the dreaded situation I was in and, you know, was able to run the whole thing, feel yep. strong at the end yes. for, awesome. you know, muscle wise and running wise and still did actually get a 12 minute PR. So it's really hard to argue with a PR. Yes. <laughs> I guess all in all, I was happy with the end result after, you know, reflecting. And of course, you know, it is tough as runners because we see time on clocks and it's hard to not associate with the time being your worth or right, your self-worth mm-hmm. and being like, yeah, oh, I'm associated yeah. with this time now as a marathoner. Um, right. But looking at the big picture, and why I run and all of the things that I did accomplish up into that one day and that mm-hmm. one performance. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely proud and yeah. proud to be healthy and recover. The recovery was so much different this time around because yes. the training was better beforehand. <laughs> so yeah, no, the recovery was very good. I really appreciated how much you shared, especially in the lead up, like you shared a lot of the training and how the training was going. And it did sound like you knocked the training out of the park, like you hired a coach and your, you know, your training was absolutely on point. So I get it. I get when you think that, okay, I'm at this level and I could probably run this time and all of my, everything's pointing towards this result is possible for me. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, it is pretty devastating for us runners, but I'm glad you've been able to keep it in context and keep the big picture in mind and and really appreciated an episode. Maybe I'll link it up in the show notes of your kind of takeaways from that marathon, if you you don't mind. Of course. I thought it was really, really well done. Thank you. All right. So our main topic that we wanted to pick your brain on tonight is base training. And so let's just start with the global question of what is base training? How do you define it? Well, as Megan Trainer says, it's all about that base, right? Mm. All about that. I don't know if that's popular in Canada, but you know. Oh, yeah. Say, well, okay. Carolyn's <laughs> making it popular. Here's a funny thing. I'm, I'm actually conducting like a group base training program at the moment. And that's what I called it. It's all about yes. that base. And yes. so in my welcome, email, or my welcome, I'm kind of doing like little audio podcasts. I was like, if you're too old or too young to get that, that reference, I'm like, no trouble. Um, <laughs> then, you know, look it up on Spotify because <laughs> it's all about that face. Yes. 
I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, base training is, it's a topic that, you know, myself being an adult onset runner and like never did, you know, cross country in high school or college or anything like that. I had no clue what base training was. And I remember getting together with a local group of runners. It was kind of like a, it was a meeting of the minds, if you will. There was a couple like cross country coaches. Um, there were a couple like local runners and they just want to like have this like powwow meeting and like, the middle of winter. And one of them, you know, was a client of mine. He's like, Hey, do you want to come? And I'm like, sure. And they're like, yeah, we're going to talk about base training. I'm like, what is that? Like a military base? Like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, are we talking about running? Like, I don't know, like the military run. I, I had no clue what it was, right. honestly. And, um, yeah, just getting into, you know, um, run coaching a little bit more. And this is really, you know, in, in retrospect and hindsight and thinking about, all of the injured runners I treated as a physical therapist for almost 20 years now, you know, this is like the critical part that most people miss and is one of the number one reasons why people get injured is because they set a goal, have a new year's resolution, let's say, right. We're going to be coming up on a new year soon again, right. We're going to have to do this every year, by the way. Right. Yeah, exactly. We started a great tradition. <laughs> and you know, it might be, Hey, I'm going to run my first half marathon this year. I'm going to run my first marathon, or I want to lose some weight. I'm going to take up running. And most people download free plan off the internet. Right. And they're like, okay, I got to run this many miles this day, this many miles this day. I'm going to run this, this week. And they really don't start with any actual foundation <laughs> and they just jump into a training plan because it gives them structure and they're doing an activity. And what winds up happening is many of those people, unfortunately, do get some of the common run related injuries that we see. So if you can actually take care of what we're going to be talking about today, which is building a strong foundation of your house and your body is your house, like for running, mm -hmm. then you are going to be able to jump into official training period or a training program for right. whatever that goal race of yours is. Yes. All right. So yeah, there's, there's so many directions we can go here, but you're kind of answering one of the big questions in my head, which is why, like, why are we talking about this today? Why do runners need to even consider doing base training? So you've mentioned injury prevention, are there any other reasons why a runner would want to make sure every year or every cycle they do base training, even if they're experienced? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to give you a couple. I think uh, I'm going to give you like five benefits of base training. Um, awesome. The first is kind of what I talked about is it keeps you healthy, mm -hmm. right? So that's self-explanatory there, right? It's going to keep you healthy. Um, the second is really it builds that foundation of your running fitness, um, so really talking about, and what we can get into this a little bit more, like your aerobic capacity or your aerobic fitness, and it actually makes you a better endurance athlete. If we actually dedicate this time to base training third, we're going to add some variety into your training. So you're not always training hard. And really that goes back to point number one, that it keeps us healthy. Um, but then it also prevents you from getting burned out mentally right? Like how many runners have you heard of that just like train so hard and they're like, I'm just so burned out and either they don't like running and they're just doing it because they feel like they have to, or they take off like a really long time of running, right? Yeah. Like we're talking, you know, two, three, four weeks, months off of running, and then they pick it up again next spring. And it's like, that's not the way that you're going to actually stay healthy or improve as a runner by having you know, such long periods that you're not actually running. So this does add that variety without, you know, getting you burnt out and whether it's physically or mentally as well. And then it really feeds into the concept. And I believe we had talked about this last year of like training cycles and thinking about this periodization in your running. So yes. when we're thinking about, Hey, there are different seasons, right? Seasons of change. And this is going to be my season that I'm really doubling down on my base training. And we can get into like what those details are, but it it's really important in 
again, keeping us healthy, keeping it fresh, focusing on different goals so we can actually improve whether it is you want to improve in your strength, you want to improve in your endurance, you want to improve in your speed, right? There's different seasons to actually work on those goals because we actually can't work on all of them at the same time all year round. It just right. doesn't work. So mm-hmm. if you, you can try, but you're not going to be very successful. So <laughs> if you can actually focus in on one area that you really want to make some gains in and actually set a 12-week, 16-week, whatever it is, training block with that specific goal, then you're going to be a lot more successful. And then lastly, and our registered uh, dietitian for runners, Brooke, in our Healthy Runner community always reminds me of this because a lot of people don't think about this, is the nutrition benefits. So you know, why would you have nutrition benefits during baseball? Like don't most people run like fall marathons and then they're like, I'm not marathon training anymore. I can eat whatever I want. Right. <laughs> and yes. you know, you're just eating whatever you want for like the next two or three months. Um, however, if you actually do take this phase of base training to actually focus on nutrition without having the pressure of it messing up a training run in like a hard marathon training cycle. Right. And have mm-hmm. the pressure of like, Hey, I'm not going to feel good for my speed work day, or I got this long run and, you know, I can't mess up this 16 mile, 18 mile, 20 mile on my calendar. Um, So wouldn't it actually be good to actually nail down that nutrition strategy when you don't have all the pressure that you have when you are in a specific training cycle? So those are kind of the, the five benefits that I see is really kind of keeps you healthy, builds a strong foundation for your running fitness, your aerobic capacity adds that variety, a little spice in your life. And then, uh, you know, it really feeds into periodizing your training and overall Mm -hmm. training cycles that we hear about in all sports. But uh, those of us in the endurance running community sometimes don't think we need to train like other athletes in other sports. And then, you know, allows that time to actually hone down on your nutrition uh, without the pressure and really focus on the basics and experiment with different, you know, products, different foods, because, things change too as we age, yeah. right? And I'm sure you guys have seen that as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's interesting what you said because, you know, if someone's training for a half marathon or a marathon, it's usually those 12, 16, 20 weeks beforehand that we think of the training as happening, right? But like you said, that's when the harder training happens. So when we're running faster and we're doing workouts and the long run's getting really long and that's all very, very stressful. So it's not the time to really have a lot of those things take hold, right? Whereas in a base phase when maybe the running is a little bit easier, I think that actually is the time where we can kind of embed some of these habits and build consistency and see what works and what doesn't work. And that way, when the training gets harder and more stressful later on, we've kind of already like laid those bricks down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You've put something in the bank that you have, you know, you have resources to draw on when you're doing what we call quality workouts. So I, I like, you know what? Okay. Little aside, I have a pet peeve with the word quality workout. It's all quality. It's just a different goal and a different purpose to the workout. So, you know, when we say quality workouts, we tend to mean like the the drills, the speed work, the tempo, you know, the harder track sessions, things like that. But okay, Dwayne, so let's just get right to it now. How in the world does someone go about building a proper base? Yeah. So I like to think about this as kind of containing three main ingredients. So the first is what you're going to hear a lot about in other, you know, things that you read or other podcasts that you listen to on this topic is this aerobic fitness. And, you know, this is essentially is focusing on actually running slow and running easy. And I always need to preface this. And I always tell my clients this, that, yes, I want to actually challenge you to run slower so you can actually be more efficient as an endurance athlete, but I don't want you to run sloppy. People sometimes equate like slow and sloppy, and they're just like coming up and down with a lot of vertical displacement and, you know, pounding down on their legs. So I I really make sure that they work on actually running slow, but keeping their cadence up, which is a challenge for new runners. And if you've never really looked at that variable of cadence, so I kind of, have them focus on different elements of their running as opposed to, let's say they're in that, you know, 
marathon or half marathon training cycle and they're focusing on a tempo run or interval and running fast right and maintaining pace and maintaining effort <laughs> here i actually want you to focus on running slow <laughs> keeping that effort really down so whether it is you're tracking you know with a heart rate strap or you're going on effort and you're just keeping it slow and easy and this really just helps us build you know that aerobic base and it it is really that foundational mileage um, that allows us to actually build upon, right? And mm -hmm. we're training our cardiovascular system, our muscular system to be, you know, more efficient. We're absorbing, we're delivering oxygen, we're removing waste products, carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And at the cellular level, we're, we're like building up the number and the size of the mitochondria, right? So there's like all these you know, physical benefits that we actually get from running slower, which is so counterproductive to most runners goals, because I don't know a runner, doesn't matter their face, that doesn't want to run faster, right? <laughs> you could be a literally a 15 minute, you know, per mile pace runner, a 13, a 12, a 10, an eight, a seven, right? Like, I don't know any runner that doesn't want to actually run faster, right? right. But the key to running faster is actually allowing your body to be most efficient. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've really focused on personally, honestly, in the last year or two is running those easy runs even slower and yeah. even going on effort. And, you know, for me, like for someone who let's just give you perspective, you know, my half marathon pace is about an eight minute, you know, mile pace. My easy run I did this morning there, the first mile, I was really shooting for like an 11 minute pace. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. like trying my hardest to run at an 11 minute pace while keeping my cadence up while staying super mm -hmm. relaxed mm -hmm. and just controlling my breathing, using my diaphragm, right? Like focusing on those yeah. other key variables that are going to make you more efficient as a runner. So a lot of people say like, I don't want to run slow. It's not fun. Like it's more fun to run faster and you feel like you get a better workout. And until you've done like a lot of speed stuff in this last, you know, marathon training cycle where I was doing these hard long runs with added speed elements in and like those suckers are hard, right? <laughs> so once you do those and then you, you just come back and it's like, hey, this foundational running is going to allow me to in the next training cycle right? Even be more efficient at those runs. And I'm going to be able to run at a faster pace with a little less effort than I did, you know, this past couple of months. Yes. That's exactly what I notice when I do base training is, you know, you feel like you're just slogging away and this is ever going to make a difference. But when you start paying attention to a rating of perceived exertion and at that same perceived effort, all of a sudden you're running, you know, 20 seconds faster per mile than you were before. And, and you realize that there are changes happening within your body. It's pretty cool when you see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked how you quantified it for us because runners were, were kind of data driven and we're like, how slow? And like, how, like, so we, you talked about effort. So let's say we were going on a, a zero to 10 scale for effort. When you're talking about these easy, slow conversational miles, what kind of number on a scale of zero to 10 are you thinking equates to this easy effort? I always used to say five to six, but as I've gotten more experience coaching uh, runners, um, now I say a four yeah. uh, because I do want them even going slower. And I, it is subjective and it does vary. And everyone's, you know, four might be different, you know, it might be the same as someone's six. So mm -hmm. it does get a little tricky. Um, you know, usually we say conversational piece run. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually talk to someone next to you running. Um, but I know I use myself as an example is I really struggle, honestly, talking, even like holding a full conversation, even at my easy pace, just because mm -hmm. the coordination of my diaphragm, breathing, talking. And I know some runners who could literally have a conversation going <laughs> at their threshold or tempo pace. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Like, I don't know how, yeah. how they do it, yeah. Um, yeah. but they can. <laughs> you know, one little trick I do, Dwayne, is um, nasal breathing. If if you can keep your mouth closed and breathe through your nose, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, like there's no, I personally have a really hard time hitting zone three doing that. I know I have to be, I mean, you can, if you train it, but when you just start out and you've never done it before, it will keep you honest. There's no way you can keep your mouth closed if you're running too fast. I agree. I've definitely, you know, started utilizing that this past year just to, again, help with my diaphragm. So I actually had, this might be a little too much information, but I actually had a um, abdominal surgery as a newborn. And this was, you know, 43 years ago now, you know, the scars weren't as good as they are nowadays. So I have like a lot of scar tissue in my abdomen and I've never had like really good expansion of my diaphragm. And Mm. I I think it really affected how I learned how to breathe. Um, So I really focus on utilizing my diaphragm and that belly breathing and closing my mouth was like the best thing I could have ever done to help promote that. So like you said, doing the nasal breathing can be a very, very good um, teaching tool to help a runner to be able to, number one, slow down and to utilize their diaphragm a little bit better if you are like one of those chest breathers where your shoulders and everything, you know, all your accessory muscles in your neck and your neck always feels tight when you run, you know, then definitely trying Kim's uh, trick is going to be helpful for you. Yeah. So maybe if you're not a talker and conversational pace doesn't mean anything to you, you could just close your mouth instead and still get, still get some kind of feedback. (laughs) Sorry. I I agree. Some people can cheat on the conversational thing because you're just like, how are you still like telling this big story and not cast me for breath because we're working pretty hard here. Uh, So yeah, some of those are, um, uh, like the four out of 10 and below, I'm right there with you saying that, you know, three or four is what I'm telling people. Like, it's really easy. I always like to say another, it's more subjective, but I say it's a guilt producingly easy pace because don't you find most runners are like faster is better and more, more, more. And we're very type A and driven. So it's like that pace where you come back and you're not sweating. You kind of feel a little bit guilty that you didn't even do anything. You don't don't want to put it on Strava. (laughs) You don't want to put it on Strava. So these are some of the softer kind of metrics that we might go by. But you mentioned heart rate before and So I wanted to drill into that one. Do you have any guidance on what people should be looking for in their heart rate numbers for this easy pace? Yeah. So this is, you know, one of those things that, you know, you can utilize heart rate as one metric, especially if you do have a chest strap, you know, most of the wrist watches are not as reliable as the chest straps. Um, And I don't like runners getting like totally fixated on it. And they're, you know, it can be like anxiety provoking, um, you know, when you're trying to just go out there for like a relaxing mental clearing run. Um, But, you know, making sure that your heart rate is not spiking up too high and everyone, you know, and there's different ways to measure your zones. I actually just did an episode on the podcast with like metabolic testing. I don't know if you guys ever done that before, but I have actually, and I've already listened to the episode. (laughs) Yeah. So just finding out like what those true numbers are, where you do go into those different zones. But generally speaking during base training, we want to focus in zone two, right? So we are keeping, you know, that heart rate down. Um, So for, you know, myself, being in the lower forties, you know, I'm definitely trying, <laughs> I'm trying to keep yeah. my heart rate in like the one forty somethings yeah. and, and below one fifty. that's kind of a goal. And I, I've done a better job and in, in actually working on that and trying to utilize, you know, better breathing techniques, being relaxed during these runs. So just to kind of give you an idea of like where my number is, I don't know if Carolyn, if you don't mind sharing like what your number is and obviously our levels of fitness are completely different. Just in case anyone didn't know who was listening, Carolyn is a lot faster than I am. (laughs) You know, but she's female. She runs in a very cool place. Like all of that stuff effects. You know, when the temperature dropped, all of a sudden my watch was telling me my VO2 max was through the roof. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's just that my body, my heart rate is not dealing with heat anymore. Right. So, um, yeah, sorry to interrupt. So personally, when I go out and I feel like I'm running easy, I'm usually like 145 or below. But when I had my numbers tested, it was so interesting because I was aerobic all the way up to like 156 or something like that. So I could be working up at 150, like in the low 150s and still be in my easy zone, apparently. That's what my test indicated. So that was a kind of interesting info. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that is interesting. And I think it definitely does depend upon right years of experience, level of fitness. Mm -hmm. um, all of that is going to definitely vary. But, you know, I, I work with a lot of, you know, novice runners and just starting out and I can see on their, you know, training calendar and final surge. And it's like, I see their heart rate, like, shoot up there. And then I always ask, like, I actually just sent uh, one of my clients a message today. I was like, you know, how would you rate the effort of your run? Um, just because I did notice that their heart rate was pretty high. And mm -hmm. so that is one variable you can utilize. Again, it, it's a matter of if, you know, there is a whole heart rate training and the Maffetone method that some people follow, you know, for those who do follow heart rate training, it's essentially running easy, like running slow mm -hmm. and easy, yeah. which is a huge component of base training phase. And it's definitely an important component when you're actually in your training phase to keep those easy runs easy. But during this base training phase, you want to think about kind of going back to really this first ingredient is um, this aerobic fitness and building that. And then the other thing I want to add to that is for experienced runners who have done a bunch of, you know, half marathon training cycles, marathon training cycles, this doesn't mean you're only doing easy running. So this is when yeah. you can add in some tempo runs and really keeping, you know, that training at just at that lactate threshold, you know, area and making sure you're not jumping over that into anaerobic training. So you can still add in. And this is the last winter was the first time I ever did that during the winter because I always just used to do easy runs. Um, is I added that in and that was good for me mentally too, to be like, Hey, yeah. there is one day that I could run a little faster. And then I started also, you know, the thing to kind of add a little spice in, you know, for your listeners, if they don't know about strides, right. After your easy runs, you can still run strides and you're not, you know, going outside the realm where it's a hard effort that you're still not in this base training phase. So that's something else that you can add in after an easy run, that can add a little spice and you just feel like your legs turning over helps your running form get a little bit more efficient. Um, so those, those are things that, you know, hopefully for those who are listening to this and you're like, you want me to just like run easy for like you know, 12 <laughs> weeks, like, heck no, I'm not doing this. Right. It yeah. sounds so boring. You might not need to, depending upon your, your experience as a runner, as well as your level of fitness. But what you're saying is the majority of the time is spent in this zone and you are spicing it up slightly, but the, the majority of the running is in that easy zone, even if you're an experienced runner. Absolutely. Yes. We want to make sure that we're running, you know, at or slower than our lactate threshold, um, which is some people call like your tempo pace. Um, so we want to make sure that we're there. And even for those tempo runs that I'll give some of my clients during base training, I might even add in little rest periods, right? So let's use an example of for those that are new to this terminology, they were doing a five mile tempo run. You're going to do one mile easy pace in the beginning, one mile at, um, easy pace at the end, and maybe you sandwich in three miles in the middle at your lactate threshold or your threshold pace, or some people just call it tempo pace. It's really your threshold pace, but I might add in 30 seconds to a minute break in between each of those miles just during this phase to make it a little bit more conservative and to make sure that they are not crossing that threshold, especially if someone's still new and they're really not as in tune to their body on when they are kind of you know, turning this tempo pace. Now it turned into an interval pace run and, right. you know, maybe they were on a hillier train than they normally run it. And they didn't yeah. take all that into account to adjust their, you know, effort of that run. Cause then now we're going outside the boundaries of what the intended goal was uh, for that run. Right. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. I love this. So going back to just the, the bread and butter of this is the easy running still, but there's these little ways that we can spice things up, but back to the easy running overall, it's because like the easy running really puts less stress on our musculoskeletal system, doesn't it? Can you talk a little bit about like, again, the, the point of it? So we yeah. get all of these aerobic benefits, but it's also not as hard on the body to recover from and therefore no big deal to go out and run three to five miles tomorrow and the next day and the next day and really build up that consistency and that overall volume that we're looking for in this phase, right? I just want to say that all of the cardiopulmonary 
physical therapists out there would be so proud of us that we literally <laughs> waited, I don't even know, 20 minutes into this episode and haven't mentioned one musculoskeletal rationale <laughs> at all. And, you know, that's usually what I'm focusing on. So I just talked about like the cardiovascular system, you know, yeah, for 15 to 20. Dwayne. All of my cardiopulmonary <laughs> colleagues out there will be proud of me. Um, but yes, from like a musculoskeletal standpoint, this easy running is going to really allow your tissues to adapt to the demands of running. So our tendons, our ligaments, our muscles, our bones, and bone health, for those of you who have had a history of stress fractures, stress reactions, this is actually the stresses that you need to put on your body in this easy running to allow your body to adapt. And our bodies are amazing. like They adapt, but a lot of times we're just impatient and we want yeah. things too fast. We results oriented, right? Um, mm -hmm. Society that we're in now. And it's like, you want something, you want it like, you know, yesterday, but this is actually allows your body and your tissues to actually adapt. And you can actually work on some strengthening. I'll use that kind of in air quotes here, your muscles with some running, but then we're going to get into that second ingredient of base training. Of course, of course, well, we're, I think go we there. Already are. we're already there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the running can actually, you know, help strengthen your muscles because you're using them and you're focusing on, on how they're being used. But the real second main ingredient, um, and is really the foundation. And we talked about this a lot in the spark blueprint last uh, year is that strength training. And this is the best time to double down on strength training throughout your whole calendar year. This is the time period that we actually want to, because we've now decreased the load of running on your body, right? We're not running fast. We're not doing these super long runs. So now we can actually allow our bodies to grow and focus on getting stronger. And how do we do that? We do that with strength training. So all the principles that we talked about um, in terms of adding load to the body. So external resistance, if you're new, just starting out, we can do body weight, right? Exercise, which are going to be enough resistance for your body. But if you've been doing that, you know, doing single leg training, and focusing on improving your strength and stability on one leg, and then actually adding load, getting into the gym or having external resistance in your home with kettlebell and weights, and now make these things harder so your muscles are challenged. And now your challenge isn't, hey, can I run that 12 miler for my half marathon? Or can I conquer that 20 miler before my marathon? It's now, will I actually dedicate three times a week to doing strength training yeah. for running, yes. for running, mm -hmm. right? That's how you got to sell it mm -hmm. to yourself. For those of you who, you know, don't love strength training and don't love getting into the gym, you just have to think about it is for your running. And this is the time period that I do like to encourage most runners to actually strength train three times a week. Obviously, if you're new and you're just starting out two times is plenty, but if you're ever going to do it at any point of the year, this is the time to do it, right? And then once you start training for that half marathon or marathon, then drop down to two days a week. Yes, yes. And like you said, in the taper, like you, you might be dropping down to zero times a week or you might be going back to that body weight. But now is the time to really shift the balance if you're thinking of like a weight scale, right? The, the importance of the strength training goes up quite a bit more in this phase of the training and this time of the year. And I, I should mention, because again, I can like hear the questions coming from, from the audience of like, you know, somebody may be listening to this in April. So what time of the year are we actually talking about? Like, when is this base training best um, taking place? Yeah. So the most common time period um, is going to be in off season. So you want to think about what is the time of the year that I'm not going to be doing a race? So depending upon where you live, right? If you are in a colder weather environment like you guys are, and I am on the East Coast in Northern US um, in Connecticut, then it's wintertime. It's pretty much yeah. December. Like we do like turkey trots here for Thanksgiving. And then maybe you do like a 5k, uh, like some jingle, you know, bell 5k or something in the beginning of December. <laughs> and then most runners go into this like base training phase, the rest of okay. December, January, um, February, obviously those like who are running in April, uh, marathon, like if you're running Boston, pretty much training starts January. So you might 
you know, have a base training phase a little bit earlier. So it's usually in the off season, but it can also be a time period. And I do highly encourage this for those runners who like to do a spring marathon or spring half marathon, and then a fall marathon. So there's usually, depending upon how the timing works out, you can usually squeak in an eight week training block of quote unquote base training. So where you've done like that goal half marathon or marathon in the spring, and now you're going to squeak in four to eight weeks, I'm going to call it base training phase before you do official fall marathon training that may start in end of June for some July, or maybe beginning of August if they're running a late, you know, November marathon. I I love that you highlighted that because that's often how I do my year is an an earlier season race. And then, you know, summer gets family with busy with family and such, and then a a later summer race. And the the danger of not doing something like that is, is you have your recovery phase and you're not ready to be training hard and peaking. You don't want to peak too early for your next race. So what do you do? You don't want to do nothing. You don't want to be peaking. You're already in a great level of fitness. This can be a good way to add in, you know, four to eight weeks of base training. It can also be kind of just a maintenance phase too, to make sure that you don't get out of the habit and the consistency of proper training and, and fill in maybe those little gaps where it's a little too far out to be truly peaking, but not far enough to be doing big blocks of other stuff. And it does allow that body to recover, right? From the hard training you just did. So you don't go into overtraining, right? And you don't want to have an injury creep up midway through your goal marathon, you know, training cycle, because, you know, you were actually like training hard for that four week period that you really didn't need to be training hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I'd like to just go back for a moment. You were mentioning, you know, the reasons why you want to strength train and the fact that strength training during base training is ideal time. I'm going to put on my physio hat here and my biomechanical hat and the injury prevention hat. And if there's one thing when I was working at the Running Gate Center that I preached nonstop, it was that, you know, strong runners are rarely injured runners. So if you can do the strength training early, it sets you up. I'm sure you would agree, Dwayne, <laughs> with the potential for better form, the potential for uh, more resilience with your running, so that when you do start doing those ha- harder, faster workouts, you already have the mechanics and and the machine <laughs> in your body to achieve those those movements in a durable, strong way. Do you want to add anything to that? I think you said it uh, perfectly. I guess the thing that I would add in is, you know, the common, let's just take some common examples, maybe that will be tangible for people to understand. I guess the, the one that I guess is probably easiest is, let's say you're training for a hilly race. You're going to need more muscle demands from your quads and your glutes for that hillier race. Um, than if you've never done a race with that much hills. So why not actually strengthen your quads and your glutes so then your performance will be better, but it will also prevent too much tension. Let's go, if your glutes aren't really strong enough and you're doing a hilly race, then maybe you're putting a lot of tension and compression on your proximal hamstring tendon and getting the old dreaded like butt pain, the PHT we call it. Right. So that's like a common thing that I see a lot of, or if your quads were not strong enough, right. And you were doing a lot of downhill running, Kim, you'd know this best. Um, You know, it's a lot of demands on the quads. And if you don't have that control there, then maybe you're getting some IT band syndrome or you're getting some patellofemoral syndrome, some patellar tendon pain, right. So Mm -hmm. the other structures start to, you know, take on that force and load that the muscles could have taken care of for you if right. you actually strengthen them. Mm, I love how right. you just said that. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You described that really well. And something we hear, and we might have even talked about this last time, but a lot of people think I'm getting strong from the running. I'm doing all this running. I've even up my mileage. Like, isn't that good enough for the strength training? But what you're saying is, no, we really need to hit the gym a few times and lift some heavier weights. So can you just talk about that? Like, why is the strength training that we're getting through the running not enough? specificity of training principle, right? That'd be like saying a bodybuilder can go out and run a marathon without ever running, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's specificity of training. So you're really focusing on, you know, what is the goal? 
And if you're actually looking to get stronger in your muscles, you're actually looking to get muscle hypertrophy, we're going to be doing higher loads. So external resistance, weight, right? We need to challenge that muscle and lower repetitions. So this is where I do have um, somewhat of a problem with um, a lot of runners will say, I'm doing my strength training, I'm doing this boot camp class, or I'm doing, you know, this CrossFit class that has me doing, you know, 50 air squats or 75, you know, burpees or whatever it is. And that's doing a lot of a quote unquote strength training exercise, but now you're turned it into endurance and you're an endurance athlete already when you run. So you actually don't need to focus on endurance when you're doing your strength training. You actually want to focus on number one, activating the right muscles. Cause if you're doing 75 of them, most likely you're going to be compensating with other muscles that you probably don't want to be using anyway. Um, so really focusing on the activation of your run specific muscles, and then we need to load it and progress it. And that's how we actually get stronger. And that's how our tissues adapt. Just like we talked about adapting with running and running slower allows for more adaptations when we run faster. Strength training with heavier weight and resistance in a progressive fashion actually gets your muscles stronger. Can you speak a little bit to just muscle fiber recruitment? You know, um, the fact that when you strength train, you're, you're training your body to recruit more motor units and more muscle fibers, right? And that's essentially the limiting factor for a lot of runners as they fatigue in the end of a race. Is that something that you speak to your clients about at all? Yeah, no, absolutely. If we can tap into those, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers when our slow twitch fatigue out and or can actually add a surge during a race, right? And you can get to that next level um, in your training. That's why it is important to add in heavier strength training. And it's important to do plyometric training as well, because mm-hmm. that's going to help recruit those fast twitch muscle fibers. Yes. And I mean, I'll, I'll send people back to our other conversation. Cause I mean, we covered all of this in yeah. quite a bit of detail the last time, but that's the importance of strength training. Did you want to comment a little bit on plyometrics if people are um, not quite sure what that is and how to introduce that safely into the plan? I agree with you. And is that is... proper during base training? Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. This is the time period. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, so plyometrics or jump training, right? We know that running is a series of hops from one foot to the other. We want to train our muscles in a plyometric fashion during base training. This is when you actually want to double down on your plyometrics and actually add them in a progressive fashion. So for example, I mentioned before that, you know, I do recommend a three-day split for a lot of my runners during base training phase. You know, a typical split that I might give someone is a more what we call posterior chain day or a glute specific day where we're really focusing on the glutes. We're focusing on hamstring and maybe we're adding in, you know, some maybe side hip muscle activation, the glute med muscle. And that's kind of the focus on that, you know, let's go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? That's the Monday workout would be like your deadlift as like your heavy lift exercise that you'd be really focusing on. And then the second day when you're focusing on quads, now we're focusing more on the squat pattern and trying to add more load with the squat. And if you want to even focus more on the quads then you do a front squat, um, that will add more load and you're really honing in on the quads and then calf strengthening. And then the third day that I like to do is really honing in on any other muscles that you couldn't get in those two days, like the, the complementary muscles that we had talked about in that first episode, like the deep hip external rotators. But then that's when I'll do a plyo. So I do my jump training in the beginning of the workout before you're fatigued. And this is where you can really, in a progressive fashion, over eight, 12-week period, you start out with like level one plyometrics, and then you progress into the next level. You make them harder. And then you finish that workout with the complementary exercises of hitting those other muscle groups in there. So that's how I like to kind of structure my workouts during this base training phase. Yeah, I like it. And I like how you you talk about the complementary muscles. You know, the body is like current. I always like to say electric current. It will choose the path of least resistance. If it can accomplish a task with one muscle, why in the world would it use two? Or if it can accomplish the task with this part of the muscle, why would it use this other part? And I think that is another reason why just simply running doesn't necessarily make us well-rounded runners, right? We need to make sure we're we're filling in those gaps a little bit with the strength training so that um 
yeah, we're not just always using the exact same muscles all the time at the neglect of others. So I love how you said that. Um, Earlier, you mentioned strides. So I th- I wanted to go back and fill in that gap because I don't think we really explained what strides are and their importance in the plan at this point, because strides aren't like your tempo running or your threshold running or below, right? Strides, you're actually running very fast, but the magic of strides is that they're done in for so short, right? They're, they're not going to fatigue you in that way, but they're really good for helping with cadence and helping with form, aren't they? So can you talk a little bit more about strides and where they might fit in? Yeah, strides are, are a great way to introduce. This is the first step that I introduce faster running yeah. um, to my clients because, like you said, they don't tax um, the you know cardiovascular system, your respiratory system, as faster running does. They're more of a neuromuscular control or a running form drill. Some people call them yep. drills, um, yep. <laughs> where you're actually running faster. But how this looks, um, you know, if you're envisioning a track, let's say, and you're envisioning the straightaway of a track, right? So we have that, you know, 100 meter approximately straightaway of a track. Or if you're running on your street, you know, sometimes around here, at least you can count like three, you know, light poles maybe, or you want to do like four houses, depending on how close your houses are in your neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess it would matter. Um, Not when the houses are like a mile (laughs) apart. (laughs) Right. So depending on the neighborhood you live in, um, (laughs) you know, you want to envision that straightaway, let's say of the track. And what you're going to do is you're going to gradually increase your running speed so it's not a sprint we don't it's not like the shuttle run that i used to do in like Mm -hmm. high school where you like pick up the eraser and you're like run as fast as possible this baseline or you know and then run back um this is you're gradually ramping up and then you get to this faster running and you're holding it there for some people vary you know two to five seconds some people like hold it for 10 seconds and then you gradually bring it down so it's yeah. not like an all out start stop. And the key to this is actually staying relaxed. And you're actually practicing on how to run fast with a relaxed body. You're not yeah. tense. Your you know, shoulders aren't up to your ears. You're not making fists with your hands. You're actually focusing on staying relaxed, good arm swing and being in control. But your leg turnover is now faster rate, mm-hmm. which again, trains your body, trains your system and gets it used to actually running faster without having the consequence of too much load to the musculoskeletal system or too taxing for your cardiovascular system where this is like a hard run. So it's not hard. They're fun. Like most clients love doing them because they're fun um, to just get that leg turnover. Um, So yeah, that's how we add in strides and they're a great time to actually do this um, during Mm -hmm. base training phase as well. Yep. So strides, drills are another thing. So do you ever add in drills, like sort of form and technique drills at this time of the year? And because that, you know, when I introduce these to my clients, like then their eyes go all like (laughs) glazed over, like, what do you mean drills? Like, you know, when you see the professional people like hopping and skipping around and doing that, but can you talk about the, where a drill might fit into things here? Yeah, it just this is going to be the time period where you do have a little bit more time in your exercise schedule, right? Because you're not running as many miles per week. You're not running as long. So it is a matter of dedicating this time to actually improving, you know, your muscle reactivity is essentially what we're doing with drills, right? And again, training your nervous system to be reactive to the floor. Your foot hits the ground, boom, it pops right back up. And we're actually adding also some stimulus to your tendons um, so they can actually tolerate some of that bouncing, right, of mm-hmm. your, your foot coming off of the floor. So it's a great time to double down on, you know, your drills and really honing in on like the, the fundamentals, right? Isn't that what we're talking about? We're talking about like, what so. are the fundamentals of running? Like yeah, how, yeah. like we could have literally called this like the fundamentals of running episode. Yeah. Right. And maybe it, we well, will. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I want to go back to what you just said. The runners have more time during the base phase to do some of these things. I would argue once you get in the habit and routine of doing them, it actually doesn't take that much time. But what you also have during base phase is bandwidth, right? It's like if you're if you're moving mentally into doing very specific workouts where it's practically like a formula, you know 
three minutes on, one minute off, to four minutes on, two minutes off, yeah. da, 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 yeah, da, yeah. for, you know, 25 minutes. And you're thinking about all this stuff. The last thing you want to do is think about doing, maybe you should, you know, obviously should be, but doing strides if it's new, if it's new to you, right? And then I'm also doing strength training. So if you can use your base phase where the running part is like basic, doesn't take any mental energy because you know all you're going to be doing is running slow. And then you can have the mental bandwidth to think about flirting with some of these other maybe novel stimuluses that you haven't before. Yeah. I like that. And just, I think we'd be remiss to not mention hills here. So hill training, um, even the, the, the short eight to 10 second hills sometimes fit into this base training phase, right? And how do you coach your clients to incorporate those hills? Do they need a treadmill or how does that look? Yeah, it all depends upon um, if you can run outside uh, during the winter and colder times. And if, you know, there's not ice on the road, then you can definitely do these um, in your neighborhood. Like that's how I like to do them. Um, But yeah, you're right. This is another great time period to actually add in a lot of hill running especially if you are going to be incorporating that into your training cycle of whether it's a marathon or half marathon. So as you're building up in that training cycle and doing hard runs, you don't want to start to introduce the variable of now running on hills, right? So you'd want to teach your body and teach those glutes and those quads to like be able to, you know, do the stuff you're doing in the gym. And now let's like turn that into actually implementing it during your running this would be another great time period. And you know, the one thing that we didn't talk about before, we talked a lot about kind of running slower and like, because most runners are running too fast, they're easy runs and in that gray zone and not, you know, getting the benefits. The other thing we didn't mention though, is base training phase with your running is the time of the year that you can actually raise your weekly running volume. Mm, And we can get to that next level, which, you know, the more that I'm learning, the more that I'm implementing myself and then, you know, working with a lot of runners is that does seem to be super protective during that hard training cycle for a race. If we can raise that weekly mileage where your body is now adapted to getting used to running, let's say if you're a half marathoner, actually in base training phase, maybe even getting used to staying around 30 miles per week, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be very protective for you that once you get into a build, let's say a half marathon where, you know, you're getting up to maybe 40 miles per week. And it's not that strenuous to do 40 miles a week because now your body's adapted and used to doing 30 miles per week. So this is a time period where I like to, while we're not focusing on super long runs, while we're not focusing on super fast workouts, let's work on actually just getting this solid weekly running volume Mm -hmm. and foundation that your body's used to running whatever it is, 20 miles per week, 30 miles per week, 40 miles per week, right? It gets used to that amount of running volume. So then when you get into their training cycle for your race, now you're just introducing the variables of whatever those, you know, those air quotes, quality workouts are, right? (laughs) I know, that is so true. Every time you say that. I know, I know. Dwayne, this is one observation I have had now after approximately an hour chatting with you is we started out this, this whole topic with runners not wanting to do their base training because if they feel like they're doing nothing. And then we talked about running, strength training, strides, hills, nutrition, <laughs> drills. like drills. There's a lot to do during this phase. So it's, it's, it's actually significantly something, yes. um, you know, with all the things that we've talked about to do, during base training, what are some of the things that maybe runners shouldn't do? What are some of the things that they get wrong during base training? Yeah, no, great point. It, one of the things they get wrong is how I mentioned building up to weekly miles. People build up and they keep building and they don't realize that, you know, we want to actually build up gradually and also have cutback weeks, just like you would in a, in a normal like race cycle. You have to have those cutback weeks because you can't just keep building, 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 building and not allow your body to recover because yeah. then that's when we start getting into overuse issues. So if you are focusing on building, let's say, you know, practical scenario, 
you know, you're building your long runs back up for, let's say, again, you're a half marathoner and you like want to get used to having your body like run in double digit runs during base training. So then when you do your half marathon like cycle, it's not like a 12 miler is actually like actually hard anymore because your body's right. like almost used to that. So, right. you know, you might program like one week is a 10, another week is a 10, and then you might do an 11. And then the week after that, you go down to eight. And then you might do a 10, 11, 12, or, you know, a 10, a 12. So you're thinking about every three to four weeks that you are actually bringing that long run back down and Mm -hmm. your weekly mileage back down a little bit. So, you know, I would say that's one common mistake that runners Mm -hmm. make during base training is they just keep building without taking the necessary step back. And then... Mm -hmm. The other misconception that I see a lot is um, runners who just seek out a coach during their race training cycle, and they don't invest in getting guidance, support, and accountability for all the foundational, fundamental things that we talked about today, Um, especially if you're not the master of how to strength train in order to run or the master of how to do drills, or you know you are your own worst enemy and you're going to like just put that off and you need some accountability, right? And you need someone like seeing if you actually did it. Um, And the support of actually getting guidance on how we actually program this. Because I think a lot of people do write it off as, oh, I'm off season. I'm just going to run whenever I want. And yeah, yeah I'm in base training phase, uh, you know, and uh, people yep. who can't see my face right now listening to this audio. <laughs> I just had like a couple eye rolls. Uh, <laughs> right. So so they take it for, for granted that, oh, this is easy running and junk miles. And like, yeah, I'll do it if I do it. And whatever, like when the real training starts, then I'm going to invest in a coach and like really do it right. If you do this part right, then you will have such a better outcome when you actually train for your goal race. Yes. Yeah. Not only will you have a better outcome, but trust me, it's a lot easier on your coach. (laughs) How many conversations have I had? I'll be very frank here from the coaching perspective with other coaches going, I really don't know what to do with this person because they have these goals, but they don't have the foundation. And how are we going to get around this? And it's real struggle, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're doing your athlete a disservice, but you're also not staying true to what you know needs to be done as a coach if you don't yeah. stand up for that. And so, yeah, everybody do your coaches a favor. Call them in <laughs> early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I 100% yeah. agree. And I I often hear the word just put oh I'm just in base training. So like, oh, I don't need to yeah. get too serious about it. Yeah, yes. cuz it's just base training. It's like, oh, that's a red flag for me cuz it's not just base training. This is the foundation. Think about if you're building a skyscraper. Like, do you just want like whatever <laughs> for your base? Like, right. no. <laughs> this is the most important part. Um uh, gravel a- good enough. <laughs> yeah, good enough. Good enough. Yeah, so okay, definitely it is a time to hire a coach. I could not agree with you more because like we said, we've just been talking about this for an hour and five minutes. There's a lot to consider in base training. And this has been a wonderful, comprehensive, meandering conversation. We went all over the place. Hopefully everyone followed us. But Dwayne, before we let you go, just bringing it back to you, anything personally or professionally you are excited about in 2023 that you want to share with us? Yeah, we're we're just excited. Um, I'm I'm excited to actually go into this like base training phase in winter and just helping more runners during this time period. Um, we actually had a lot of runners jump in our program uh, last year during this time period, which really worked out well for their spring running and then even segueing into fall running. So yeah, we just actually have a registered dietitian, Brooke, who's been in our community for a while. Now she's actually doing personalized um, nutrition plans in addition to kind of our our run coaching and our strength training, you know, for runners program. So that's kind of exciting. And yeah, we're just looking forward to helping more runners out, like learn how to do this right. So we can actually, you know, do it for longevity. Like let's get stronger. Let's get faster eventually because we've done it Mm -hmm. right and be able to run, you know, 
like I say, until I'm in the box, right? So let's do it for longevity. Exactly. Okay. Well, you've, if you've piqued anybody's interest, remind us where we can find you online or if we want to join, if anybody wants to join your program or work with Brooke or one of your other coaches, how do we do that? Yeah, well, I guess first off, if you are listening to this podcast, then you like podcasts. So if you haven't checked out the Healthy Runner podcast, then um, that would be a good place to start to hear about what what we like to share um, in terms of kind of running help content. And then, yeah, sparkhealthyrunner.com is home base. So you can get all of our handles. And on Instagram, sparkhealthyrunner is our handle, which is pretty active there. And we do have a Healthy Runner uh, Facebook community as well. Awesome. Yes, please go check them out because there's some great, great stuff that Dwayne puts out with his group there. Yeah, you're on fire. You're like the content machine, just always putting out great, <laughs> great stuff. So yeah, thank you, Dwayne. Thank you for coming on again. And thank you for all that you do for the running community. You really are a wealth of knowledge and it was wonderful speaking with you again tonight. So thanks. No, this was so great connecting again. And you guys are just doing so much for the running community as well. I love listening to your episodes. I love seeing the the stuff that you're doing. And yeah, this is always, always a pleasure uh, for us to connect. And I'm looking forward to having you guys back on the Healthy Runner podcast yes. in the next yes. couple of months. So I'm excited for that. Little teaser, little teaser. Okay. But uh, I guess we'll say we'll meet you again next year about this time. Is that right? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dwayne. Bye.